Friday today, and am I, I'm coming through the mic, am I coming through the sound out there? Okay, my, my microphone wire is popped, so uh, if it goes weird, it, it uh, I don't know, it, uh, it goes weird, and, and the spare that we have is the wrong spare, so <clears throat> there you have it. Um, anyway, I want to welcome everybody, we uh, uh, want to announce we have two new deacons, Dave Klein, Dave's right over here, and uh, and the other is Rick Huddleston. So they're they'll be serving for three years with the um, on our leadership team as as deacons within our church, and then also uh, coming up, be be watching for schedule changes and stuff this upcoming week, and um, and then we'll have our Christmas Eve services. So we're going to have an outdoor service over here. On the side of the building, um, it'll be on the pavilion. There'll be a big screen up there, so you can um, watch it. We'll have sound, outdoor sound, as well as you can stream it on your phone or um, whatever. And then we'll also have indoor. So keep uh, keep a watch out, and we'll have all the details for that this week as well. Um, so today we're going to be in Matthew chapter two, verses one through eleven, talking about the Magi. And, and so as, as we come to this in just a second, I want to mention a few things about it. Um, there's a few things in, in this passage today that have led to lots of speculation. I mean, there are a lot of things that when we talk about this, we, we speak about it as if this is, this is the gospel truth. I mean, this is right there in the Bible. For instance, we three kings. We three kings is a Christmas carol. We don't know how many kings there were. It doesn't say. It just said that there were Wise men, men, plural. So that could be two, that could be 20, that could be three, it could be four, five, six, seven, um, whatever. But, it, but it's a Christmas carol that we sing that um, has some speculation in it. They speculate, does that make it bad? Or, well, it doesn't make it bad. It's just not accurate um, in, in some regards there. Um, we really don't know how many wise men came from Persia into Bethlehem that night. The passage also really doesn't say anything about them being kings. It says they were magi, magoi. Um, so, so magi. And, and so if, if we come and uh, look at that, we'll talk about magi here in a moment. But, but they were wealthy. We, we know that. We know that they're wealthy because they brought expensive gifts. So they had to have um, a, a pretty good bank account or what, uh, wealth store. But um, it, it was a dangerous trip. That they took. So they take a trip of over a thousand miles. So these guys most likely came from Persia, which would be due east of Bethlehem. They could have come from Babylon or maybe down on the Arabian Peninsula where uh, Yemen is today. But, but basically, they, they made a trip that was about a thousand miles in the ancient Near East. That's a long way. That's on foot, maybe by camel. So we know that this was a trip that took some time. Um, they probably had an entourage with them. So they probably, it probably wasn't just two guys or three guys or five or whatever. It was probably a pretty good group of people, a pretty good band of people. And they were very conspicuous when they reached Jerusalem because when they got to Jerusalem, people were talking about it. Who are these guys? You know, three guys don't just slip into town and, uh, and nothing happened. But so as they come in, this is, this is what's going on. So... Um, they received an audience with Herod, so they had some kind of influence. You know, you don't just go into the, the head of, of um, the country of, of Judah there without having some kind of influence. So, so these are the things that we know. We don't know their names. 
um, contrary to legend, in about 600 AD, they were given three names. That's wrong. That's just speculation. Started about 600 years later. Um, man, I'm ruining Christmas right here. I'm just toasting it. No, but um, what we do know, here's what we know. We know that they were not Jewish people. They were not, they were not a part of Israel. They were Gentiles. They were like us. They were outside of the covenant of God. They journeyed a long way following a star that they knew that God had placed in the sky and they brought expensive gifts to worship. This is what we know about them. So hopefully I haven't ruined the song for you, but, um, but when you sing it, you might want to remember that it, it, the three king part, yeah, that's, that's, um, you, you want to scrap that out and, and hang on to the rest of it. And, and the message is solid, and I want us to look at what the Bible says about the Magi. Magi, it just means wise men or astrologers, people who study the stars or interpreters of dreams. In the book of Daniel, that's what they called for was Magi, so to, uh, to interpret this dream. So Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, in Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they, replied, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we look at four things in here as, as we come into the passage in the first one, and they all four deal with following Jesus. What, what does it require to follow Jesus, or what do we need to do if we're going to seek after him? And the first is, is it requires risk. Following Jesus requires risk. So we've already talked about these guys, but they've traveled over dangerous roads for a thousand miles, um, roads that sometimes proved, fa- proved faith- fatal to people who traveled over them because of thieves. There would be thieves along the way, people that uh, made their living taking stuff from people who were traveling from place to place in the ancient Near East. Traveling was not like it is today, and, and it wasn't safe. So as they did this, they, they were traveling a very long distance. Their, pro, uh, their cargo probably helped to buy supplies as they went. They had gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If they had a a large quantity of that, they could buy supplies as they went along the way. It wasn't a day trip or even a week trip. It it was a long trip. But the sheer amount of cargo that they had made them a very profitable target. I mean, this, this entourage going through there, people knew 
from seeing it that these were men of, of means. These are men of wealth. So they're leaving the comfort of where they are and they're going to follow God's leading. This is where they're going. They're going out. They see the star. They know that this is something to go and, and to see. So this is where they're going. In Mark 10, 21, Jesus, um, <clears throat> talking about the rich young ruler, it says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. For the rich young ruler, um, he wanted to know, what do I have to do to get in? What do I have to do to be good enough? What do I have to do to gain an audience with God? And, and Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And he said, um, you know, do not steal, do not covet, and on and on. He said, well, I've done all those commandments since I was a kid. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm in. I, I, I keep the rules. And Jesus said, one thing you lack. Give up what you trust and trust me. He, he, he just looked at him and said, you know, you trust in your riches. You trust in your wealth. You're trusting in your stuff. You're trusting in your own ability to provide. You're trusting in who you are, and you're not trusting in me. He said, do this, and then come, follow me. Or in John 8, 12, um, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, he's saying, look, you need to come and, and follow me. I am the light of the world. And he said this at the Feast of Lights. When, when he's in Jerusalem, they have these huge lights lighting up the corners in, in the temple court. And, and here it is. These lights represent the glory of God that led the people out of Egypt as they followed him by a fire by night and a cloud by day. And Jesus stands up and he says, I am God. I am the light. I am the place. I am the one to follow. This is where you come. When you walk with me, you're not walking in darkness, but you're walking in the light of life. So, so he's urging us to follow him, to trust him, and to risk Stepping out in faith and following him in John, uh, Luke 14, 27, Jesus said, who does not, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus just says, if you're not willing to risk, you really can't follow me. Um, these are just a few of the ex examples of the cost of following Jesus, but it comes in a variety of ways. And when we ultimately follow Jesus, we're putting everything we hold at risk we put everything about us everything in our lives at risk to follow him it's saying that i am giving up my control i'm giving up my autonomy i'm giving up my ability to try to control things and i'm going to trust god to lead me and follow him so for the magi it's risking their lives um, literally they risked their lives and followed Jesus to follow this star to find him and and they also gave generously from their possessions so they followed because they believed they followed they took the risk because they trusted in God they trusted that that this was God guiding them and they believed this enough that there was not going to be an obstacle to get in their way to prevent them from doing this so as as they come in and do this we, we need to understand in the story when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the star appears in, and then the wise men from the east journey west in to find the Christ child. And then the second thing is awareness. Um, they came and, and they risked to do this. And then the next thing, there, there are people here 
in the story that come in, and you have Herod, the king. So Herod comes in, and, and we see him introduced, and we see the scribes and the Pharisees, and we see a response that takes place when they come in to Jerusalem. So as we come in, these wise men had an awareness of what was going on around them. They were watching and looking, and whatever this star was, and there's been a whole lot written about this star. I mean, you can come in, and even now there's, there's going to be an alignment of Jupiter and Saturn on the 21st on, on uh, winter solstice. They say there'll be a space uh, through a telescope about the size of a moon. So it looked like they're one. Um, there was an aligning of these stars back um, close to this time, not exactly at this time, um, probably about uh, two or three years before. But um, there's been that. There, there was there's speculation that it was a comet. There's, there's all kinds of speculation about what um, this is. But, but whatever it was, it caught the attention of the Magi. We don't really quite know. But um, they were aware that something was happening, and they went prepared for the occasion. They knew something was happening. They were aware of it, and they went prepared for it to happen. So the priests and the scribes, you come in as they come into the story here, Herod calls him in and says, hey, tell me about this. I want to know um, <clears throat> because he's troubled. When it says he's troubled, it, it, it doesn't mean that, oh, no, I'm worried about this. No, no, no. It means Herod's about, you know, blood's about to flow. Herod was a bad dude. So um, things, things are about to happen. And it says all of Jerusalem with him. It says all the people who know Herod, they're scared to death because they know how wicked this man is. And, and so as they come in, he um, calls all the chief priests and the scribes and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So Herod, he says, look, tell me where this, where this Christ child is to be born. And, and so they tell him and he said, well, he's going to be five miles from here, Herod, just, just down the road. It's, it's a couple hours walk. It's in Bethlehem. You know, the scriptures, they, they say it in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the priests and the scribes, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they know, or the, this is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, they know what's about to happen. They, they, don't, they don't understand it, they don't connect the dots, but they know where Jesus will be born. They know it from the scriptures. They have studied it. They understand it. And they tell him to go and, and check over there. And then they went on with business as usual. Now think about that a minute. These are the most, most well-versed people in the scriptures on the planet. These guys know more than anybody else. This is their job. And here it is. Here is Jesus that they've been waiting on for centuries five miles down the road, and they go on in business as usual. In John 5, 39, Jesus said this. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is speaking to the same people you know, 30 years later, and he says, look, you search the scriptures. You diligently study this stuff, and you think that by studying it, and knowing it, and, and your position, and your knowledge, you think that this makes you okay with God. He said, but you've missed it. You have missed the point. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, it's not how much we know about the scriptures. It's not how many times we've read the Bible, although that's in incredibly important. I, I mean, I would encourage you to read it over and over and over again. 
But ultimately, just knowing the facts doesn't change us. It, it's not something that does that. It's, it's our awareness and our need to respond. It's, it's my awareness of, of what God is doing around me. It's my awareness of God. It's my awareness of who He is and my awareness of my own need that is important. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're so locked into their routine. They're so locked into their position and, and who they are that they missed what was right next door. And, and they knew all the facts. They knew everything about where the Messiah would be, be coming from, but, but they didn't even bother to go look. They didn't look and go, wow, this, this whole bunch of people came, these Gentiles came, looking and following this star. Maybe, maybe we should just at least go check it out. You know, maybe we should at least just maybe see if there's something there. And, and, and they didn't even bother to look. And, you know, I, I think the truth of the matter is we all do the same thing. I think that we frequently move into life and, and, and we look at it and, and we think, you know, I, I um, you know, occasionally we'll, we'll hit a day and we'll go, man, I just really need to pray about today because I just don't know. But, but we should be thinking about that every day. Every day we should look at it and come, come to the day and say, you know what, God, I, I don't know what you have in store for me, but I really want to walk with you today. I really want to experience you. I really need to know. I really need to be aware of what you are doing and what is going on in our area. And Christmas can become so routine that we forget the purpose of the holiday. It, it can become something that is so locked into us so much that, that these are the things that we always do, that we miss the point with the routine. And, you know, a normal Christmas year starts the day after Thanksgiving. Actually, it's probably starting in October now. If you can market it, you can make it, you know, make, make a buck. You can do it. But, but basically, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and now it's actually Thanksgiving Day, but, but you go on and, and, and you, you get into this, quote, season of time where it's about do this, do this, buy this, buy that, get, 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 go, 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 and, and we move on. And, and what happens is, is, is we catch the story, we know the story, but everything just kind of mingles in. And are we aware of it? Are we aware of it? Do we have an awareness of what's going on? Another way of putting it is it's like we've been inoculated. You know, we've gotten just enough of it that the real thing can't get through. It's, it's like uh, when, when you get uh, vaccinated. You know, when we were kids, we had all these there terrible things out there. Polio, smallpox, stuff like that. You know, some of you are growing old. What were those? Well, they're eliminated. They're gone. Because smart people figured out that if we take a little bit of this thing, your body will produce... Um, a power to overcome it. So you won't get it. You, you know, this isn't going to happen to you. So, you know, we lined up and got all these things and, and um, it inoculated it. It protected us from the real thing. The fake thing protected us from the real thing. And, and this is what sometimes when, when we look at it, this is what's happened with the scribes and the Pharisees. They have had a fake thing, just enough of it, that when the real thing comes, they're not even aware of what's going on and there's so many details that are that are going on right now that it's easy to forget what it's all about it's easy to forget and just move on and, and get caught up 
in, in the mundane of it all. So we need to immerse ourselves in the story of God. We need to immerse ourselves in the scriptures and look at it and, and ask questions of it and come in and, and, and read stories like this and, and say, you know what, how, how does this story stack up to what I know? How does this story stack up to what I'm told? How does it stack up to the songs that we sing? How does it stack up to what's going on in the season? And as we do, how can this story draw me closer in to God to understand more about Him and who He is? And so we need to be careful that rather than to look at the surface, we look to the foundation of Jesus and and the foundation of Jesus upon which it all rests and to immerse ourselves in the story of God and and then we don't miss it. So like three kings were really magi with no certain number. I mean, it's just good to know that. It's good to know that um, there, there weren't three kings with names that, that came out. Instead, there's just a scripture that says, this is what happened. Wise men came from the east. We don't know a whole lot about it. And, and you know why we don't know a whole lot about it? Because it doesn't matter. God doesn't expect us to know that. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the number of wise men. We can speculate about it. We can talk about it. We can read, go on and on. But, but ultimately, the real story and the real meaning of the season is caught up in the Christ of the Bible. So how do we maintain this awareness? Um, William Law, an, an old uh, theologian, he, he gives the answer. He says, when, when the first spark of a desire after God arrives in thy soul, cherish it with all thy care, give all thy heart unto it, follow it as gladly as the wise men. Men of the east followed the star from heaven that appeared to them. It will do for thee as the star did for them. It will lead thee to the birth of Jesus, not in a stable at Bethlehem of Judea, but to the birth of Jesus in thine own soul. He says, look, read the word of God and follow it. Read the word of God and go where it takes you. Um, Herod, we have Herod on the other hand. Herod um, was threatened by the thought of another king. So we have the Magi on one hand and, and their awareness or lack thereof. And then we have Herod. Herod is acutely aware of what's going on. He is acutely aware of what is happening. And his awareness is a full-on rejection and a desire to destroy Jesus. He sees Jesus fully as a threat. I mean, and this is the way people are today. Some people see Jesus and it's just like, yeah, whatever. And other people are threatened by him. And, and so Herod had a desire to destroy it. So Herod, um, he was well known for killing anyone who, who perce- he perceived as a threat. For instance, Herod killed his own two sons. Herod killed his favorite wife. I think he had nine, but he killed his favorite one. And, and he killed her. This is, this is kind of bizarre. You know why he killed her? He just couldn't stand the thought of him dying before her and her having to live without him. Go figure, you know. That's pretty bizarre, isn't it? I mean, she would have been well, way better off. Herod, Herod arranged to have, I think, over 100 righteous people killed on the day of his death so that there would be mourning, so that people would mourn because everybody, he knew everybody was going to rejoice when he died. He was, he was horrible. He was absolutely horrible. This guy was awful. So, um, you know, as you come in, Herod is aware of what's going on, and his awareness is, this is a threat to me, and I'm going to destroy this threat. Herod goes out and has all the babies 
under the age of two in Jerusalem killed because he said, look, if there's a baby that's going to be the king here, I'm the king. Nobody's going to be the king. I am the king. This is a threat to me. And a lot of times people see Jesus as a threat, a threat to their own autonomy, a threat to their ability to control their own lives, a threat to their pocketbook, a threat to um, their relationships, a threat to the way that they find pleasure, a threat to everything because we want to do our own thing. So we have to have an awareness if we're going to follow Jesus. The next thing is humility. Uh, The next thing that you see as you come into the story is humility. When these Wise men, when, when the Magi get to the house where Jesus was, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, is what the scriptures say. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You think, what in the world is rejoicing exceedingly with great joy? In the ancient Near East, they absolutely threw down. I mean, they, they went nuts. They celebrated. They were not... Um, calm and sedate, they celebrated. With all of their being, they were loud, they were demonstrative in their joy, and and they did this, so they did this, and it it was an unmistakable display of emotion. When you say they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, it was an unmistakable display of emotion. So you have that. Um, they went into the house then and they fell down on their face and worshiped. It says that they literally kissed towards him as they would do towards um, uh, an object of worship. So these, these men came in. And, and so you've got to think about this a minute. These, these are wealthy men. These are men of power. These are men. Um, these are not just normal, average, everyday guys. Yet they come in and they come into this little bitty place where Mary and Joseph, and and it's not going to be much. And they come in, and and they squeeze through, and they fall down in worship of him. And and so we don't think about it a whole lot because we're followers of Jesus. And, and, you know, we think today, you know, like the song, I can only imagine, what what am I going to do? I'm going to dance before you. I'm going to fall on my face. And I'm going to be just standing there awestruck and not able to speak. What is it going to be like when I stand before God? We think about that. But but these guys were living it. They were living it. And they saw it. And they experienced it. So think about this a minute. They They were people who come in and they just cast everything aside in, in who they were and, and their dignity and everything else. And they worshiped this poor Jewish baby. They worshiped this poor little baby. So they're trying to get into the small house and, and see Jesus, the King of the Jews. This is, this is what's important to them. In 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, Peter said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Uh, Peter says, you know what? All of your worries, all of your problems, all of your anxiousness, throw it on God, because God cares for you. And instead, humble yourselves and trust him. Humble yourselves, and then he will exalt you. In Philippians 2, verse 3, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You see, their status meant nothing to them. It meant nothing to them. It's, it's like when we come into, into worship in church, you can have someone who is very wealthy in church, and you can have somebody who is very poor 
or even homeless. And, and you can be in the room together worshiping as equals standing before God. That's, that's the humility of the Scriptures. And that's the humility of God. And as you come in, Jesus modeled this for us in Philippians 2, 1-11. It says that Jesus, though He was God, God in the flesh, He humbled Himself and became a man. The incarnation. God became a man, humbled Himself to this point of taking on our limitations so that He could redeem us from our sin and shame. So we come in and, and, and we look at it and we realize it takes risk, it takes awareness, it takes humility, and the final thing is it takes sacrifice. Following Jesus requires sacrifice. You see, the Magi, they're a great picture of this. From the beginning, they put everything on the line to follow Jesus. Everything in, in, in their world, they put it on hold to follow Jesus. A thousand mile trip means they're going to be gone for a long time. So they have left, they've made the journey, and they're coming in, and they travel, and they ask, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Where is he? I want to know. I want to know. They have come in and, and made this sacrifice, and it leads them into Herod's court and ultimately leads them into Bethlehem when they find out where it is. And when they finally see Jesus, they give great gifts of great value. Great gifts of great value. And, and it was the very best that they had. It, it really was. This was the very best that Jesus had. Now, a lot's been made of the gifts, and that's, you know, that's speculation as well. It's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, gold is, is, you know, expensive. It's worth a lot. Frankincense and myrrh are, are incense. They're used for perfume, incense, uh, burial, uh, various things. But uh, we don't really know um, what these gifts were other than gifts of great value. And <clears throat> so they come in and, and they give him that. And, and Christmas is a reminder of that. It's a reminder that we're to give our very best to God. God gave himself to us, and we are to give ourselves to him fully, um, 100%, all of us, that we are to give ourselves over unto him. And when we look at the incarnation, we see that the incarnation is the first step in the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would make for us. Would make for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it, it really sums it up in, in this way. It says, For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God became a man, and he took on our sin, so that in him, when we come into Christ, we can take his righteousness on us, and we can become the righteousness of God. They gave their best, they gave their worship. They gave their time and they risked their lives to do it. So it, it may or may not be that they fully understood what the birth of Christ meant, but they definitely knew something big was going on. They definitely knew that something's up. God is up to something. And they were willing to step out and move towards Him and trust Him in what he was calling them to do. So as, as we come in and, and we look at this year and, and we look as we wrap it all up and everything going on, um, coming into it, we have to ask ourselves some questions as we come in to Christmas. And, and one, what risks will we take? What risk will we take to follow Christ in our faith? Um, it, it could be sharing our 
our faith with people around us. It could be inviting them to Christmas Eve. So, I mean, it could be any number of things. It could just be taking something over to someone and say, hey, been thinking about you, been praying for you. Um, how are we going to do this? Are we aware? Are we aware of what's going on around us? Not, not just the, the little bitty bubble that we're in, but are we truly aware of, of the lives of the people around us and, and their needs and their desires and their hurts and, and their longings and so forth? Are we making ourselves aware of that and putting ourselves in a position to see how God wants to involve us in that? Are we <clears throat> coming in and trusting Him in humility, in, in the point of saying, you know what, I, I'll, I'll put my own reputation, you know, my, my whatever that might be, um, aside and, and trust in the reputation of God and follow Him and, and allow that to be. I'll be humble before Him so that others can be drawn to Him. And are we willing to make that sacrifice as we come in? So th- those are the things to come in and, and to look as we look at how different people responded to Christ in the Bible and how the story unfolds and how it is a part of who we are. Let's pray. Father, we come in before you today and we praise you for the amazing love that you have for us in Christ. Father, we ask today that you would help us to make ourselves aware of you, aware of the things that you want to do in us, and through us and around us, aware of the needs of the people around us. Father, give us a willingness to humble ourselves before you, to sacrifice, and to be aware of everything that you're doing. Father, help us as your people to to take this time of year to focus not, not on ourselves, but to focus on you, and allow you to take us where you want us to be. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have our invitation this morning, I want to challenge you to think about it. You know, how can I, how can I be used of God during this season to be drawn into the story of Christmas and make that story known here in our community to the people around us? Um, we're going to have a, an amazing, amazing opportunity. We have a big screen stuck out there on the side Christmas Eve. I mean, that, that's a great opportunity. People driving down the road to look and see what are these people doing and, and to invite them and just say, you know what? Hey, I know you might not ever want to come to church, but we're going to have a drive-in thing. Bring your family. It'll be a lot of fun. Or, or you can even come inside. How, whatever it is that you want to do. What a great opportunity that we have to reach out to the people around us. Would you stand as Greg leads us?